How's everybody feeling? Welcome in to this Monday show, November 29th. Jason Ross here with you. Hopefully you had a great long weekend. A happy Thanksgiving into the weekend. Uh, Black Friday, a Cyber Monday today. Um, I saw that the numbers were down on Black Friday. I don't know. I'm sure they might be down on Cyber Monday. Wow. What? Your silence on Small Business Saturday is deafening. I was saving that for the end. I loaded up on Small Business Saturday. Hmm. You went from Friday to Monday. Yeah, because I was putting the headliner at the end. Actually, though, that's crazy. So Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, Cyber Monday. Um, is that it? Sunday anything? Oh, no, you're A day of rest? Up. You're resting up. Yeah. Uh, did you purchase anything, Chris, on either Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, or Cyber Monday? No. Okay. So you were... Not like everyone. I think the numbers, as I said, are down. But gosh, everybody wants numbers to always go up. Everything's things constantly change. Like it's okay no, if you get the same as last year, then it's worse. Okay, that's what that's what we've always been told. Yeah. No, no, no. You have to you have to keep rising. Well, there's a point where you can't go any further. Right. There's only going to be same or down. Yeah. Well, like they say for oh the uh, the NFL games are down. The NBA games viewing is down. Everything. Yeah, there's way more choices, more options. It's just we're in a different time. We're in a different time. I think that's pretty obvious. And if you watch any of these games and look at attendance around a lot of them, uh, there's big changes there too. Um, and we will get into that. Hey, we've only got 90 minutes today, so and there is really a ton to cover. I think we need to cover the socioeconomic <laughs> discussion that we are starting on right now. A deep dive into all of this. Deep dive. Yeah. Uh, in 90 minutes from now, a little less now, we're going to get you to Monday Night Football at Seattle versus the Washington football team. That to wrap up this week of action. There is actually baseball to get to a ton of baseball signings. NBA news, certainly the Kings weekend was up and down, but there's plenty of stuff regarding the NBA to cover. It was a massive NFL weekend that started with Thursday, including a great Raiders win, carried over into yesterday and an important 49ers win. A college football's weekend in which USC has a new coach. And reports about Tiger Woods says he will come back, which is great, but also don't expect him to be the same player that he once was. I don't know that he was even before the uh, this near-death experience, but um, I'm excited about that. He's okay with the reality that he won't be the same player, but he does hope to return to competition. So there's all that, uh, but first let's tell you it's time to get a new mattress. Shop local at Sleep First. All right, with all that said, let's do it. Let's start you out with First Things First. First things first. Close things first. Bad pass. Davion Mitchell intended for Jones. Turnover Kings. Three on three. Push up the floor. Here's Brooks shaking. Left corner. Drives baseline to the rim and scores. Two-hand flush. Dylan Brooks just having himself quite an afternoon in Tennessee. Lewis King working hard defensively against Desmond Bain. Does a nice job. Forces Bain to... Give it up to DeAnthony Melton. Melton back to Bain. Now he's open. Left wing for three, and he makes the Kings pay. 70 for the Kings, trailing 103 to 70. Oof. Wait, what's that? That's a 33-point deficit. When? Yesterday. I thought the Kings just played on Friday. They also Great weekend Friday. for the Kings. <laughs> you missed. You took Sunday off. Yeah. Literally, you took it off, which is... I think because it was between do. Small Business Saturday and yes. Cyber Monday. I think the Kings took the same roadmap here and took the day off. Um, it was awful. Yesterday was absolutely awful. Uh, but Friday was actually fantastic. Very entertaining. Uh, it had all the elements of what you want in a Kings-Lakers game. Triple overtime, big shots being made, bad decisions being made really on both sides. And I guess we're at that point where that's what the Kings are, right? An up-and-down team. If I could... Really, my best explanation of Friday and Sunday's games are this, and the players and coaching staff could explain it better than, than I probably could. They'd have a better rationale or reasoning behind it. But doing this for so long, one of the things that I think happens, and I think happened to the Kings on a positive side and certainly on a negative side in the same realm, was when you were playing without key players, it generally puts you in a spot where you have to galvanize and play together. And I think the Kings did a really good job of that on Friday. You didn't have Barnes. You didn't have Holmes. You're going into L.A., and it's like, oh, man, this is – and there's probably a natural tendency for the Lakers to take it a little bit lighter. And then they realize they're in a game, but at that point, all the Kings players that played were fully engaged and really played well and won a triple overtime game. 
So now you've done it for a game. You travel cross country, you go to Memphis, and you think, okay, we've done it. We had success. We know how to do this. Well, you are without some very important players in Rashawn Holmes and Harrison Barnes. Let's throw in Mo Harkless, who didn't play either. And that's three guys that either start or two that always start, a third that starts quite a bit. So you're hurting your overall depth and rotation. So now you've won a game like that. You go to Memphis thinking, oh, we can do it. We can win again. And you also maybe mentally, for whatever reason, slightly let off the intensity knowing that Memphis is playing without John Morant. So what did Memphis have to do? They had to galvanize, get everybody together. Let's play a great game without our best player. And they did that on their first opportunity and just embarrassed the Kings. So it's it's interesting how much this can swing quickly because one week ago today we were talking about the dismissal of Luke Walton. Uh, Alvin Gentry has had clearly the Sacramento Kings experience. And what I mean by that, he has had four games as coach of the Kings. The very first one at home against Philly without five starters and the Kings lost. The second one, okay, Portland, they're fully healthy. How are you going to beat Dame? This team is going nowhere. And you play great. And you play great, and you deserve to beat the Blazers, and they did. Then you go to the Laker game without two starters. You're playing the the big three of L.A. and L.A., and it's like, uh, you're probably in trouble. Then you get that. So now when you're feeling good, you're 2-1. and one, Then you lose by 27, and honestly, it was worse than that yesterday. He's He's experienced the full Kangs or Kings experience, Chris, in one week. The game yesterday, it's kind of like when you have like a little cousin, nephew, or something like that that's beating all the other little kids in basketball, and they're feeling very confident. So they say like, hey, I want to play you, and then you just body them and yeah. just take it to the rack every time. And Sure you want this? Just embarrass them. Sure you want this, little fella? That's uh, what the Grizzlies did. Like, oh, we're just going to go to the basket every time and score. Yeah. At one point, I had the, handed the stat to G-Man during yesterday's broadcast. I want to say, if I remember right, the Kings had 42 points. Total, 42 points. Memphis had 40 in the paint. Uh, just awful. 11 nothing start. Kings kind of got back into it right away, but after the first quarter and halftime, it, th- it just it was out of hand. And it was so bad. Never their night. Not a good thing all the way through. Here was Alvin Gentry after the game. You look at the points in the paint. They had almost 50 points in the paint in the, in the first half, 72 for the game, uh, 20 fast break points. Uh, so all the things, when you look at the sh- stat sheet, all the things say that uh, you have no chance to win the game. I was disappointed that we didn't uh, react. I thought they got in us early, you know, and, uh, you know, we're running our offense from half court, and uh, you can't do that. And and, and uh, the only way you can stay in a game like that is that you have to come up with stops and you have to do something where you're running uh, out against uh, stops and not taking the ball out of the basket, out of the net. But, you know, they drove the ball into the paint, and, 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 and as I said, they they scored at will. <clears throat> and uh, and we didn't shoot the ball well at all and didn't attack the basket well at all, and uh, the end result is that you'll, you know, you'll give up 128 points. And that's what they did. That's what was so disappointing. And the 128 was a slowdown, really, for, by Memphis at the end when they were playing their end of their bench, as was the Kings. But uh, the disappointing thing, it's much like, to me, the game in San Antonio. Whenever you play in a game, you want a chance to win. You want to have a chance to win. The compete level, the, you know, if you shoot poorly, which the Kings did, if you turn the ball over, they didn't really even do that. It was just not having a chance at any point in the game to win. That's what's frustrating. And, again, Memphis, they're okay. It's a, they're an all right team. And the way the league, I, I told you, what, several weeks ago how confident I felt about the Kings being in the top 10 based on what I thought would be the bottom five. It's not in that realm right now. But what's really starting to happen is three teams are separating themselves, mainly the Warriors and the Suns. But I'm going to put the Jazz up there because I really think they're a very good team through 20 games. After that, who's good in the West? I'm I'm going to go over the standings quickly here. Dallas 10-8. and Clippers, it's an L.A. week, by the way, for the Kings. They get the Lakers tomorrow, Clippers Wednesday, Clippers again Saturday. Uh, Clippers 11-9, and nine. Lakers 11-11, and 11. Portland, Minnesota, Memphis 10-10. and 10. Denver's now lost six in a row. They're below 500 at 9-10. and 10. Kings 8-13, and 13, then go down the line. Oklahoma City 6-13, and 13. Spurs 5-13, and 13. Pelicans 5-17, and 17. and the Rockets 3-16. and 16. Um, I know it's the Kings' goal still to be in the top 10, and it should maintain their goal 
it's open. It isn't a case of let's go Jaegers last year where the Kings won 39 and finished ninth. They didn't have a play-in game. But the 39 also, they were like eight games out of eight. They, they weren't that close. There is going to be an opening, and that 9-10 may even be below 500. So, you know, Alvin Gentry's just done this for a week. It's still the same players. Um, I know people wanted some drastic – uh, turnaround. I don't expect that. I mean, the core principles that Luke Walton and the staff put in together are going to be a lot of the same things. Unfortunately, we're seeing all the same players make some of the same mistakes. But what also has to happen, I think this team is best when they're fully healthy. And they do They do miss Barnes. They do miss Holmes. They still can win without those guys. But it just makes them look more whole, more complete. Um, but we've seen some opportunities now for a few other guys so that Marvin Bagley had put together a couple of good games, which was good to see. But it's a consistency thing, certainly with this team. Some stuff with Marvin, though, it's still like, ooh. Oh, yeah. In the game, the Portland game where he had the a double ri- dribble. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> he had one of his best moments, his crowning moment, the corner three in front of the crowd. It was awesome. I'm glad he had it. But in the same game, Chris, he double dribbled and didn't even realize that he did anything wrong. Like sometimes we have a. Uh, there's that great one with Russell Westbrook when he was at the Thunder and he, they threw the ball in. And he, he just, just walking, walking with it. It's like, what am I doing? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just walked with the basketball. This one was two hand dribble, get under the basket, pump fake, pump fake. Let's do the dribble again. Like, what are you doing? And then he looked at the ref like, what? You double dribbled. How do you do that? He had a move last night. Was it last night? Yeah, it had it been last night where he moved to his right. And I was just like, oh, okay. And then missed everything. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, yes, oh, badly. man. Yeah. But it's like, it was a perfect move. And you're like, okay, wow, he's been working on his moves. Ooh. Everything but the finish. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll get more into the Kings weekend. Which is bad is if this was like year one, year two. Yeah. Like, like, oh, okay, man, he's going to fix that. Yeah. And he's going to be trouble. It's not year one. It's not year two. Um, so kind of expected weekend to me for the Kings. I'm glad they got the two wins for sure against Portland and L.A. Then you're feeling... Like I told you last week, it can swing fast, right? It's like, man, when are they ever going to win a game? Then they beat Portland. They back it up with a great win against the Lakers. Oh, they're going to beat Memphis. You can you get caught up in the swing, and when you're, well, in this case, five games below 500, you're not even a 500 team. You lose more than you win, but we'll see. The next group, like we said, Lakers tomorrow, Clippers Wednesday, Clippers again on Saturday. All right, let's get you more First Things First. First Things First. Jimmy going to take it, pivot, handoff to Debo, led by Mitchell, turns the corner, Debo, touchdown, San Francisco, the 49ers have their first lead of the game. 49ers win it by a score of 34-26. Yeah, highlights there from the 49ers radio network, this needed to be a win, and it was, and now all of a sudden you look at San Francisco, and in our next segment we'll talk about how really they're in a fantastic position just by what they've done, just by what's happened around them. And we'll explain that in a little more detail coming up. But uh, the 49ers with a win yesterday, that's three in a row. They get to six and five. Uh, Not their prettiest of games. And if you look at this win streak, I thought they were awesome against the Rams. They got the win and a good win in kind of a controlling game in Jacksonville. And yesterday wasn't uh, the most beautiful game, but a late stop defensively. You got the, the DNA policy here right of what does the Niners so good is running Debo effectively like six or seven times for over 50 yards and then Elijah Mitchell so great to have him back 133 on the ground and a score Jimmy G sacked a couple times through a pick not his best outing but still 17 of 26 let Kirk Cousins make more of the mistakes and the 49ers beat a team that was in the race with them, a team that they might be competing with later, a team they just took the tiebreaker over because of the head-to-head. And also, by the way, what's happening around them, like the Rams continuing to lose. It's just opened up the door for a few more things, and the NFC has some good teams. The Niners, like we said before, I thought they had the making of, of a really good team. They weren't playing like it. But if you could turn it on and play your best at the end, that's what Tampa did last year. That's what the Chiefs did two years ago. Right now, we're looking at a team like the Patriots doing that, playing their best football. So we get caught up in the first three or four weeks and say, oh, well, this team's 0-3 or 1-4 or whatever, 2-1 or 4-0. This is the best team in football. You have to let it play out. You have to see it in longer stretches. You have to make it through injuries. And speaking of that, unfortunately, it sounds like Debo Samuel is going to miss a little bit of time. He's been such an important weapon for this team. 
as uh, as a receiver. I think he only caught one or two passes yesterday, but as a runner and a guy that has a nose for the end zone scoring twice, um, they're going to miss him. They're definitely going to miss him. But they'll be watching tonight with Monday Night Football because Seattle is just about playing themselves out. But if Seattle beats Washington tonight, they've got the matchup of the 49ers and then get right back in the mix. But if it's a Seahawks loss, man, it's going to be a really tough position for them and it'd be a great spot for the Niners to try to almost knock them out this next week. And that's the kind of position they're going to be in soon. So uh, the Niners needed to find a way to win. Remember, they hadn't won a home game, and now they've won two in a row at home after the win yesterday, 34-26. Talking about Seattle, I mean, who even thought that they're going to have a bad season this year? Oh, both of us. Both of us are raising our hands. Yeah, I did. I did. It feels good. <laughs> it feels good. Yeah, might be my only prediction I made correctly. I know. I have to look back at some of our football picks. They weren't uh, not my best, not my best performance, I would say for sure. Um, I believe I had uh, Jacksonville making the playoffs. Did you? Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have to look at these. <laughs> um, man. Oof. But the Niners got that win. It was nice for them to do that. Vikings go back below 500. Minnesota, again, kept that streak alive. I think they're the only team in the NFL to have at least a seven-point lead in every game this year. And they always play games that end within one possession. But the fourth quarter, uh, the third quarter was crazy. I think there was something like 30, was it 20 to 12? Yeah, 32 total points and scored in the quarter, nothing in the fourth. But a good win, a much-needed win, and the 49ers got it done. All right, let's get you more first things first. First things first. First things first. Well, it was an eventful weekend in college football, too, and the stories continued into the uh, days yesterday also, into Sunday, because I thought one of the bigger stories yesterday was USC making an announcement that they have hired Lincoln Riley as their next head football coach. And I will say this as a Bruin homer, a UCLA homer forever, I think on paper, on the surface, this is a fantastic hire. I did not think this is someone they would get. I guess he wasn't uh, being dishonest when he was saying, no, I'm not talking to LSU or I'm not going to LSU, which he did not. But, and Chris, you tell me, I I need an honest opinion. And and when I'm asking Chris, I'm already scared by this. But my analogy here, because I honestly think this is a very good hire for USC. I did not think they would get Lincoln Riley. His track record, he's been amazingly successful at Oklahoma. And I don't know if this is me saying this with my love for UCLA or am I on to something here. But just about every single person that is talking about this says it's a home run hire, best hire, USC is back, the school of the century. You know, they're going to be the program to look for. I feel like once when you get that much love, is it too good to be true? A little bit like when the Rams added all this talent. Oh, they're the team to beat and they're not quite clicking we've seen nfl teams do that nba teams oh they're it's not a matter of are they going to win the championship are they going to beat the bulls record and now the warriors record am i off here or is it or is this truly a great great hire for usc i agree 100 percent with you but on top of that i also hate usc oh so i'm not getting an honest opinion from you no. <laughs> um i think i gave you i gave you the equivalent i believe that usc is manchester united mm of this great team that used to be great and everyone wanted to be a part of, but they're not anymore and they don't know what to do and they make these great hires, but there's just such a soul sucking (laughs) franchise that it doesn't matter what you do. It's nothing's going to work. Well, what I don't understand, I mean, obviously Lincoln Riley is, I mean, just on the surface, just his coaching ability is great. Uh, What's weird is, I don't know what kind of money was was thrown here because Oklahoma, I mean, he's helped add to a traditional power and has made it to the uh, Final Four and has been a team that's had a a chance to play for a championship, has had a Heisman Trophy winner. So I don't doubt that he has that ability to do that at USC. But, Chris, this was the big thing in the offseason was that Texas and Oklahoma are going to be going to the SEC. The best conference got even better and now he's leaving. He also told all his players that he currently recruited and those that he had brought in there that had already been there to play with him, he's left there, which makes me wonder, wait, if you're leaving Oklahoma for USC, why wouldn't you leave USC? Like, that is this his job for 30 years? I think he's got wandering. And, I mean, Oklahoma right now is better than USC. I don't know. Traditionally, you could even argue which has been a better program for 50 years. They're both traditional powers. Is, I, is this just go to L.A.? I think this is just the money. 
Could be. And, you know, as a counter, I mean, Oklahoma, I know, is paying him a boatload. So SE, I'm sure, is offering a ton as well. And the Pac-12 is going to have another year where they're not in the Final Four. And it's a tough conference. I just think the the thing I've always said about the Pac-12 that I think is different than the SEC, I think the very, very elite at the SEC are so good. But, I mean, Alabama's not going to Vanderbilt to lose. But Oregon, UCLA, USC, Stanford, whoever's your top team in the Pac-12 can go to Washington State and lose. They can go to Oregon State and lose in Corvallis. They can go to Cal and lose. Um Everybody has the ability to beat you in the Pac-12, as much as it may not seem like it, but they do. It's the Pac-12. They eat themselves. They cannibalize. They have the from top to bottom are pretty. There's a parity in the Pac-12, which they there's no one that can just like rise above everyone. And if you think about it, like the Pac-12, there is so much travel that people don't think about. Also, on top of that, no one outside of the West is watching them. True, true, and that's why, I mean, Lincoln Riley, the name in itself caught everybody's attention, mine too, but is he considered a bigger coach at USC than he is at Oklahoma? In Oklahoma, there's no way. That is the thing, the biggest thing. L.A. is filled with stars, and when SC, this is the other part, Chris, that I think is interesting, when SC was really great, not 40 years ago, but what, 15 Bush and Leinert, and like they were dominant. They were the team to beat for four years with Pete Carroll. Were they? They, they don't have any wins. You know what I mean. But even with that said, part of their success, honestly, I think, was they were the show in town in L.A. Oh, 100%. Now it's the Rams and the Chargers, and you could argue if they're good or not, but I think in L.A., much like a lot of the world, a lot of the United States, they want the best of the best. So if the best is at the pro level, they're going to they're gonna climb onto that now they'll support usc they'll support ucla but they've got to catch their attention they can't be a he can't have a nine and three season he's got to be 11 and one or 12 and oh and that was a perfect timing because it was post shack yep lakers uh dodgers weren't dodgers were eh. yeah clippers Pro football wasn't there <laughs> clippers yeah were owned by that other guy right that didn't care about winning and then the football team was great sc was great and they didn't have any nfl teams yeah so it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I don't doubt that he'll be great. I just wonder, you know, immediately just putting his name to that. I mean, they, you know, I watched them play again this weekend. They lost to BYU. They lost to UCLA, and everyone put it all on Clay Helton. They're also down on talent, and Lincoln Riley will help recruit that. I think it's a great hire, but I wonder if it's if it's a little too far what people expect. But we'll see. Time will tell, certainly on that one. Now on the other side, also this weekend, what a day for these guys. They go victory formation, McNamara to a knee. Ohio State has one timeout left. They're not going to use it. 48 seconds to go, and it's going to end right here. 42-27, Michigan will defeat Ohio State and head to Indianapolis for a Big Ten title. Amazing. Michigan, that's the one game they couldn't win. They couldn't beat Ohio State, and they break through and beat them. It actually got them pretty good, 42-27, Started off strong and just stayed with it, and Harbaugh breaks through with a huge, huge win for him for that program, and now everything is lining up for them as long as they don't stub their toe in the Big Ten Championship uh, to be one of the teams in the Final Four. And here's another example, I will say, of this college football season. I think Georgia is outstanding. That's the end of the list. Honestly, that's the end of the list. I think if, I don't know, a Pac-12 team, I'm going to keep using the Pac-12 and... Utah played Michigan. Who who wins that game? Now, Utah's not going to have an answer to that. They're not going to be in the the Final Four. Oregon played um, another one of the teams that's like Cincinnati. Oregon probably wins that game or could win. I think Georgia's by far the best team. Alabama will have their chances. Anybody that's in the pool of the four, they have their chance. I just don't think this is as good of a year depth-wise in college football. But congrats to Michigan. They got it done. Have you heard the rumors coming out of Indy? No. So a bunch of Ohio State fans got their hotel rooms for the championship game in Indy. Uh-huh. And now that they're not going, they're keeping their reservations, and a bunch of Michigan fans can't get hotel rooms. Waiting for highest bidder or just not even giving it to them? It's not even giving it to them. Wow. Cold-blooded. But funny. That's. I mean, that's the only – there are very little rivalries like that in the United States. Right. That is just like perfect. Yeah, but at the end, I'd be like, okay, you can have the hotel, but it's going to cost you uh, 
Well, it's not one of those things that you can directly sell that to someone. You just got to cancel your reservation. So, wow. I believe it. I definitely believe it. All right, one last thing here on First Things First. First Things First. First Things First. All right, lastly, a ton of baseball signings. Some high-profile names are changing teams, namely a couple of Dodgers announced today. Max Scherzer, he's going to join the Mets. Corey Seager is going to the Rangers. We'll break down all those baseball signings before we're done as well. We've got so much to get into, including Monday Night Football coming your way tonight as it's Seattle versus the Washington football team. But when we come back, more on the NBA, more on baseball signings. But next, why the 49ers are in a fantastic position right now based on their weekend and their win over Minnesota. We'll explain when we come back here on KHDK. that song reminds me of my dad <laughs> back here on sports 1140 KHDK as we take you to Monday night football it'll be uh, Seattle versus the Washington football team Jason Ross here with you Kings tomorrow Kings on Wednesday as well before back in action again on Saturday um, uh, as we said Monday night football coming up tonight we can tell you it's time to get a new mattress shop local at sleep first as we were going to break I was talking about the importance of that 49ers win yesterday not their best game. That's not what I'm talking about. But just the way the season is starting to lay out and the way it's starting to project out with what now all of a sudden six games to go. I mean, the Niners have played 11 of their 17 regularly scheduled games. And, well, let's let's hear first a, a little bit from the 49ers uh, yesterday and get their reaction to this performance. Because, like I said, it wasn't their best. And even Coach Shanahan wanted, I would say, even more from Jimmy G. Um, I thought he started off um, not great. Yeah, it took him a little bit to get into it. I mean, he missed a couple on that first drive, and obviously that pick um, was inexcusable. He knows that. But the way he bounced back, I thought was great. You know, he made some huge throws. Jimmy played good enough for us to win. Yeah, he did. He did. And then, like I said earlier, they're going to have to do uh, go to work here soon for a while without this guy. Here's a wide handoff to Debo Samuel coming right, turns the corner. Down the sideline goes Debo. Lowers his head and drops his shoulder. Touchdown! San Francisco, and now the teams have to be pulled apart as there's flags on the field after the Debo Samuel touchdown run. Well, Debo was great again. Two more rushing touchdowns. Also has been their best receiver. He's just been awesome. I had to leave the game yesterday. Him and uh, Fred Warner both set for MRIs today. The news on Debo, I think, was encouraging. Doesn't look like he's going to be out a long time, but they expect him to miss some time. So that's an important weapon for them uh, to be gone. But now let's start to look bigger picture with what my explanation is of why this win, I think, was so important for the 49ers. As we said, they're 6-5, and five, but what have you done for me lately? They have won four of their last five with their loss to the Cardinals, a game that was felt like to me on this season one of their rock-bottom performances because the Cardinals, as they knew going in, weren't going to have Murray or Hopkins, and the Niners – Lost by two scores, but it felt worse. They just weren't bad in that game. That was not a good game for them. And after that, what have they backed it up with? Win against the Rams, win against the Jags, and win yesterday against the Vikings. So here's why I'm so optimistic on where they are now and just really how this lays out for them. Here's their remaining schedule. The Seahawks coming up on the road in Seattle. Another road game in Cincinnati against the Bengals. Good team. Home for the Falcons at the Titans, home for the Texans, and at the Rams. So right now, Rams, Titans, and Bengals above 500. Seahawks, Falcons, and Texans below 500. So based on that and based on where they are in the standings, as we know, no games are promised, but seven teams now make it. And you figure the Cardinals are in pretty good shape to win the division. And if it's not them, somehow if it's the Niners are finishing crazy hot. Um, or the Rams, but Packers are looking great to win their division. Tampa's looking great to win their division. Dallas, it's getting a little shakier, but they still should win the division. So now you're looking at positions five, six, and seven for the wild card. Right now, the Rams are in fifth. You still play them one more time, but let's just say that doesn't go your way. They beat you twice, and they've got, or you split with them, excuse me, but they get another 
uh, game on you because the you would play them one more time, they could give you another loss. Um, the team that's currently in seventh, the last wild card spot is Minnesota. You just beat them. So you have the wild card on them, or the uh, tiebreaker, excuse me. Now you go outside the top seven, and you're looking at Atlanta, who the 49ers play. The Saints, who are five and six, you don't have an interaction with them, but right now at five and six, you know, how many wins do they have to get to? The Eagles are five and seven, and you've already defeated them. So they have one less game to play with. And the Panthers are also five and seven and get news today that Christian McCaffrey is now out for the season. So the things are laying out well. And let's just do this. Let's give the Niners, which is unfair to play it this game, but this way, but let's do it. The three teams that they play below 500 will give them wins against those teams. And that would be Seattle, and that would be the Texans, and that would be Atlanta. And that Atlanta one's really important. And three losses against the teams above 500. That would get the Niners to nine wins and eight losses. Nothing too flashy. But that that's going to get them in, and here's why. All right, Minnesota, to be ahead of the 49ers, would have to get to 10 wins. So that means they would have to finish 5-1. and one. Possible. But considering they've gone five and six, now you're asking them to go five and one. Okay. Atlanta, especially if you beat them, they would have to get to 10 wins. And to do that, they would have to win all of their other games that they're playing besides the one the Niners, if the Niners beat them. Uh, Saints are the kind of the one unique team, but I, I just can't see them figuring it out completely. And Philly's already five and seven. They'd have to go five and oh because you have him in the tiebreaker. So just by this redirect of three consecutive wins by the 49ers, they're in tremendous position to be a playoff team. Now, I know they have bigger goals than that. I don't know. I don't think they can win the division based on two losses to the Cardinals. They have to get a full game ahead of them. You'd probably have to win out. I don't know that the Niners will do that and have the Cardinals lose four more games. But based on what they've done, based on how they've looked, Honestly, I think the seven that are there now look most like playoff teams to me. I think the Saints on certain days can be pretty good. And at different times, we've seen Carolina be more competitive, maybe even Philly. But you look at the rest of the teams, Atlanta, New Orleans, Philly, Carolina, Washington, the Giants, the Bears, Seahawks, and Lions. And the one little wrinkle is Seattle. Because if Seattle can win tonight, that gets them to four and seven. That's still two full games behind the 49ers, but they play the 49ers next week. And if they got a win there, that's a game I'm not I'm counting as a Niner win. But if the Seahawks get them, that puts them to five. That's only a game behind the 49ers, and they will have swept the 49ers. So that's why tonight feels kind of sneaky big in the standings just to watch. Um, it would give Washington a fifth win, but still another team that I don't think is is ultimately that much of a threat. And based on talent, based on the way they play, based on their ability to run the ball, their special teams, their defense has been good enough, and Jimmy G trying not to make mistakes. I think if the 49ers, just on the limit of getting those three wins, would get them in. Now, if you get to a fourth and fifth, then it's not even a question. But I don't know what you guys think about that as far as their remaining schedule. And and generally, as I said before, they don't always play out this way because maybe they beat one of the teams that's above 500. Like they already beat the Rams. Could they beat the Titans? Yeah, why not? Could they beat the Bengals? Sure. Um, and then maybe they don't beat the Seahawks, the Falcons, and the Texans. But of all the games, the two most important right now to me are Seattle next week and the Falcons, based on trying to keep those teams down and bury them below you and get you two more wins. And if you could scratch out one more, I mean, you really feel like you need to beat the Texans at home. That's not a great football team. And then you're uh, you know, playing for positioning, playing for health, trying to be the hottest team or – do you get the right roadmap going in? I thought last year was very favorable for Tampa Bay. Like they were a wild card team, but they got Washington. That that was a nice opener. Then they played a Saints team that I thought they might lose to, but they were so familiar with them, and Drew Brees made more mistakes than Tom Brady. And then they're down to the uh, final part, the NFC Championship game, and they made more plays than Aaron Rodgers did in the Packers. So a lot of it's just getting in, how you're playing, how you're feeling, how you're looking – and right now, with three straight wins, getting in that they've scored 30 each of these weeks, gave up more points this week than the previous two. But I'm sure it's a team that's confident. We're not talking about Trey Lance right now. We're talking about Jimmy G as the quarterback. Elijah Mitchell more than confident in his, him being the identified key running back. Um, 
Debo's their primary weapon as another skill player, whether it's he hasn't been the target as much the last two weeks, but as a runner, as just getting him touches. So once he gets back and healthy, and then certainly Kittle and Ayuk's been better. They've got the look of a team that could be dangerous when they get it all to put together and done right, but I think these this three-game win streak has just propelled them into a spot that just a few weeks ago it didn't look like they belonged, and now they do. So they'll keep a close eye on tonight's matchup, not only for the standings, but for their next game as uh, Russell Wilson and Seattle will be coming up on Monday Night Football against the Washington football team. we got to go over the rest of the NFL weekend, and I can't uh, forget about that Thursday game. Man, the Raiders kept their season playoff hopes alive, too, with a big win on Thanksgiving against the Cowboys. We'll talk about that in the rest of the weekend as the Patriots and Packers stay hot. We're back with more after this on KHDK. You know what this song reminds me of? What's that? My dad. <laughs> Back here on Sports Alert. We're having our own show, aren't we? <laughs> yes, we are. Show within the show. We're narrow casting, but we're enjoying it. Hopefully you guys are as well. Uh, here on Sports 1140 KHK. Uh, check us out as well on YouTube. We thank you for uh, checking us out there. Um, and uh, we go till 430 today. And then it's Monday Night Football, Seattle against the Washington football team. We talked a lot about the Niners. Got to get into some more of the NFL. And I don't want to forget about these guys because... I thought the Raiders were uh, going down the wrong path, certainly, and they had been. I mean, that's the reality. But uh, they went to Dallas. I thought that was a really tough matchup for them, especially the Cowboys coming off that disappointing performance. But uh, things went well for the Raiders in Dallas on Thanksgiving. Carlson has hit three of four plus 50 yards. Good snap. Good hold on its way. Is it long enough? Yes. 56 yards for Carlson. Raiders 33 and the Cowboys 30. Just a great win. A really a big time win for the Raiders in Dallas and something that they needed to, like I say a lot, redirect their season, save their season, whatever. It was going the wrong way quickly. And uh, Coach Basaccia was very pleased about uh, how they got it done. We've all been off sync on offense a little bit. So when it's good, it's everyone is complimentary, like we, we alluded to earlier. And when it's, when it's bad, it's easy to just point at the, the one guy. And he's the trigger guy, and it's probably the most difficult position in all of sports, right, to go out there and do that week in and week out. And, and today, he just looked like Derek Carr. It's fun to watch him play. Which was interesting if you heard us last week in our weekly visit with Lincoln Kennedy. He's like, look, I'm, I've never said this before. First time I say it, I think they got to make a change. Just for a spark, put in Mariota. Now, Mariota... Did get an opportunity in the game, but it was just a specialty play here. Carr is going to be the receiver on the left side. Cowboys are trying to have somebody account for Carr out there. Mariota with Jacobs alongside him. Keeps it. Mariota. Jackpot, baby! Marcus Mariota takes it home for the ninth island. Attaway! (laughs) Brent Musburger on the call, of course. As uh, the Raiders did get the win, let's hear from Carr as well about just kind of making it through all of this stretch, this weird year they've been in. But here's more from Derek Carr after the game on Thursday. I think one thing I've tried to do this year, especially when 11 was here, you know, was I was going to be so aggressive. It leads sometimes to, you don't complete as many balls on a percentage chart or whatever. But Gruden used to tell me, don't ever take your arm out of the game. So when we call these things, let's let's rip them, you know. And so we saw some things on film where hopefully we get some looks. Hopefully we can get some one-on-ones down the field. And we were able to find some of those, you know, and have a, you know, an explosive day. They did. And they needed it. They got it done. And impressive. It really was impressive for them to get that win. Now, what was interesting about the game, as you know, the Raiders faced, uh, were going to face their former player, Amari Cooper, but he had been out for COVID issues. C.D. Lamb was out. Uh, But now, speaking of COVID, um, defensive coordinator Dan Quinn will serve as the Dallas Cowboys interim coach this Thursday when they face the Saints because head coach Mike McCarthy will be missing the game because he tested positive for COVID-19. So, uh, again, COVID hasn't gone away. It it won't go away for seemingly a long time. But uh, the Cowboys now are going to be dealing with that this week when they play on Thursday again as they get the Saints. So uh, Coach McCarthy will be out of that one. As far as yesterday goes, the other games around the NFL, uh, a little bit of everything yesterday too. Um, I, I think it's impressive what the Bengals have done this year to the Steelers, just taken their will completely away and dominated them 
yesterday to go to seven and four, dropping Pittsburgh to five and five and one. Let's not forget that tie. Everybody's favorite. Um, but uh, the Bengals were great, and they've done that. And Mixon continues to be good. He had another big rushing day. He's been instrumental. Then the Buccaneers and Colts game was great. That was really good television. And Leonard Fournette, there you go. Career high four touchdowns. Carson Wentz made some plays, but the Buccaneers ended up surviving that one. And the Colts, too bad. If they had gotten that win, you know, they were really putting a lot of pressure on the Titans. That whole division loss yesterday, but. Um, I thought the Panthers game was interesting. The the fact that we mentioned earlier that Christian McCaffrey is now out for the season. Cam Newton got benched in that game. So Carolina had some promising things the way the season started. Now they look at them at five and seven and have to be wondering what they're doing, you know, going forward because they trade for Sam Darnold. They bench him. Basically he had been hurt some too. And now Cam comes in, he gets benched. You just don't like that uncertainty this far into the season. Unlike new England, who has to feel really good about what they have defensively. It's just that defense right now is so good. And then Mac Jones continues to play the role that he has kind of mastered with this team. And, you know, when you watch them every week, there's nothing very flashy about their offense, but they execute. They call good plays. They really maximize their personnel groupings. Bourne made a couple of one great catch in the end zone, then another one uh, breaking some tackles. But it's just a team that you can see like a difference on coaching. There's so much talent in all these leagues, but when you see a team that's really, really well coached, it sticks out. And to me, that's New England, and that's not a surprise. It's not any hot take here, but it's it's Bill Belichick coaching a little bit better talent than he's had last year. He didn't have all the pieces. And I think he still coached them fine, gave them chances. But he's always going to find a roadmap for his team to have success. And that's what you want. Like I said earlier about the Kings not having a chance to win yesterday. You want to have a chance to win. And not only did they have a chance to win, they had a chance to dictate the game. And when you could do that, when you could play it on your terms, play it under your game plan, under your scheme, I mean, that's what happens every week. Coaches are going to look at what another team does well. Belichick's, of course, famous for this. Let's take away something that they do. Do well. And then you you hurt their chances of being successful. But you also create a game plan of your own offense. If we can do this, we can win. That's why you set up the game plan. That's what you want to try to achieve. And it seems like in this win streak, obviously, they've been getting it in their terms. That's what I talk about a lot with the Niners. If they can get into a game plan where they're ahead of the down and distance, running the football, mix in the pass game, Control special teams. I mean, just always stay ahead. And, and the score might start 7 nothing, but then they score, and then you score again, and it's, you know, maybe it was only a field goal you allowed, but you add one, 10-3. Maybe you add another field goal, 13-3. You're starting to get the other team a little bit out of what they want to do, and as long as you keep adding your points on your possessions, you're going to be in good shape. And I think the New England Patriots have done that in this win streak. It's been impressive. And not only did I think they wouldn't catch the Bills, they did. They passed them, and they're controlling the division right now, which is honestly amazing. Uh, some other games of note from yesterday. Um, the Chargers, every time I want to believe in this team, they play like yesterday, and they lose by two scores. And Denver's had a nice season. That was my team, I told you before, the year as a, kind of a surprise team, maybe an overachieving team, a team generally that has come in last the year before, makes the playoffs the next year. I don't know if Denver's going to quite get to the postseason, but they're 6-5. and five. And Chargers now six and five, and the Raiders got what they needed with those guys losing. The Chiefs are off. The Raiders are six and five. And then we look at a couple other games that happened yesterday. The Sunday night game was a tough watch. The Ravens and the Browns. Someone had to win or tie. The Ravens got it done, found a way, even with all the mistakes Lamar Jackson made. And then the game I think that was most anticipated was the Rams and the Packers. And Aaron Rodgers, sensational again. Packers also got an effective running game and controlled the game. Led most of the game back to playing on their terms. Rams trying to play catch up at the end. And the Rams now, after adding all this talent, are scratching their head trying to figure out, why aren't we winning and winning easier and winning more games and controlling this thing? They just haven't. They haven't been able to do that. They've lost three in a row. After being 7-1, and one, they're now 7-4. and four. And the losses are to good teams, but it just makes you wonder, I mean, is this a team that could win a Super Bowl? Their last three losses to the Titans, 
who was their first game without Derrick Henry, to the 49ers by 21 points, and then this week to the Packers. Now, they get the Jags, so you would feel like they bounce back, but then it's the Cardinals again. What are they going to do there? That was one of the teams that beat them earlier this year. So um, after that, Seahawks, Vikings, Ravens, Niners again. It's it's not going to be an easy finish. I anticipate them being a playoff team, but this team's not about getting the playoffs or winning a game. They made all those mortgage investments, you know, investing in, in their talent and risking their future draft picks to win the Super Bowl. You don't trade for Stafford to get one round farther. You don't go after Vaughn Miller and Odell Beckham just to be, hey, we got all the stars in L.A. You are doing that to try to win the Super Bowl. That is clearly their goal, and all can still happen. They just haven't looked like it. They haven't figured it out yet in uh, their couple of weeks. So that game stood out, and, and kudos to the Packers, 9-3, and three, and have taken on all sorts of teams here and have looked good in doing so. All right, final half hour still to come. we got to talk about some of those baseball signings as Major League Baseball is on the threat of being uh, on a lockout, but they're also signing people at some crazy deals. But when we come back, more on the NBA. The Kings up and down weekend. Great win against the Lakers. Awful performance yesterday against the Grizz. And it's another week with L.A. Lakers, Clippers, and Clippers in the week ahead. We'll get into that. And Boogie is back. We'll explain all that when we come back here on Sports 1140 KHTK. He's back. DeMarcus Cousins is back. As so are we. Second hour here of the show. We actually have a half hour here before we get to Monday Night Football. It's time to get a new mattress. Shop local at Sleep First. Jason Ross here with you. And, uh, yeah, interesting news to find that out yesterday that DeMarcus Cousins is back in the NBA. The former King signing a, a deal with Milwaukee. It's, you know, there's some incentives there and protections there for the organization, certainly for DeMarcus. And, boy, you look at him the last couple of years promising teams have been seeking his services after that uh, gruesome injury with the Pelicans. He's been with the Warriors, the Lakers, the Clippers, and now Milwaukee. The reigning champs are looking at uh, just some added depth as DeMarcus Cousins is uh, back in the mix. Also, uh, some other, I would say, strange stories around the NBA. Kemba Walker, I don't know if you guys saw this, he is out of the rotation, according to Coach Tibbs in New York. It was one of their big free agent signings. I know he's struggling, but that one is a bit bizarre, and we say that for, you know, lesser profile players, stay ready, stay ready, but Kemba Walker out, that's... Not even going to the bench. Like, just out of the rotation. Yeah. Um, You know, when it was said early on in the year about Marvin Bagley, that might have taken some people aback, not here locally, but, I mean, Kemba Walker is an all-star, has been a franchise player. Marvin Bagley was drafted high, but that made more sense in in, in an ability here than Kemba Walker surprised me, but also Chris Blake Griffin... Apparently has the same thing going on with him with the Nets. And just for for the time being, he is out of the rotation there. And then uh, out for reason is Michael Porter Jr. And he's so talented, but he's going to have back surgery. He is out for the season. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the Kings. Um, no matter what they've gone through in their 21 games now, this Western Conference, once you get past the Warriors, the Suns, and the Jazz, flip a coin. You know, an injury here, an injury there. Like, uh, what will Memphis do long-term here? I don't know how long John Morant's going to be out, but if it's two weeks, four weeks, a month, I I don't know what the total – maybe it's just a couple games. I'm glad it wasn't anything too serious. But Denver's a team that's been playing without uh, the last game. I know Jokic didn't play. Murray's been out. Now if you lose Porter, I didn't anticipate them being a team that had to worry about the playoffs. But injuries are a big, big deal, and – you know, the Kings um, have been relatively healthy until just recently here, losing Rashawn Holmes. His was more of a – the one game was an eye injury, then the last two was a non-COVID health issue. Let's say he was just a bit under the weather. And then uh, watching Harrison Barnes before every game, he's warming up pretty aggressively. So I, I got to believe he's going to be back pretty soon for the Sacramento Kings. But speaking of the Kings, let's talk a little bit more about their up-and-down weekend. We talked a lot already about the game – against Memphis yesterday, how brutal that was. Let's get a little better flow and feel um, as uh, this team had some incredible moments on Friday night against the Lakers. Monk is the defender. 
Fox spins right, goes left, up fake, reaches in, layup. He's got the bucket. Kings lead by seven, a minute 50 to go. It's their biggest lead of the ball game. 34 for De'Aaron Fox. It's 135 to 128. Fox drives on Davis. Almost lost the ball. Stumbles. Keeps it under control. Seven of the clock. Goes back into attack mode. Can't get it. Tristan Thompson cleans it up with a left-hand leaner. Kings lead it 137 to 130. Great putback by Tristan Thompson. Inbounds pass. Halliburton underneath the basket all by himself. He doesn't even look to shoot it. He dribbles it out to the near wing. And the Sacramento Kings, shorthanded tonight, have gone into L.A. and they have defeated the Lakers in triple overtime. It's the first Lakers loss in extra minutes this year, and it was their fifth overtime game. For Sacramento in the regular season, in 37 years of the Kings in Sacramento, it's only the 20th time they've won a regular season game in LA Kings with back-to-back wins getting the victory to break a slide against the Portland Trailblazers two nights ago in Sacramento go to Southern California put up a season high 141 and despite the fact that they couldn't shoot worth a lick in the first half this evening they prevail in 15 extra minutes final score 141 137 yeah, it was just the third triple overtime game in the history of the Sacramento Kings. Oddly enough, they've won all three now. But uh, that game, you know, was a little bit of a slice of what the Kings are capable of. And obviously, yesterday was more than a slice of what they're capable of, too. Both dynamics, two completely different games. One was awful. One was nice. And so finding more of the consistency and the balance of the performance is, is really what this team is looking for. And no one, and myself included, is not expecting them to be in that trio of Warriors, Suns, Jazz. But a couple wins here or there, and they're in that mix. I mean, look at the teams that are 4 through 10 right now. And, and, and trying not to even do this as someone who wants the Kings to be in that mix. I mean, Dallas, I know why they're ahead of the Kings. It's Luka. But do you look at that team and think they're drastically better than the Kings? Clippers, I think, would be with Kawhi Leonard, but he's not there. They're two games above five hundred. Kings played the Lakers, beat them. Not that, you know, they may not beat them the other three times. They may sweep them. Who knows? They get them tomorrow night. But that's a team that is good, has some flaws. Portland certainly has flaws. They're 500. Minnesota's worked themselves back up to 500. They're actually playing well lately. Memphis, seeing them in person, I mean, 10 and 10, they're okay. And then Denver at 9 and 10. So I, I think it's all there for the Sacramento Kings, but it's also the frustration of following this team of watching this team is also knowing that they're very capable of yesterday's performance. And that's, what's got to be the hardest thing for a coaching staff. So I, I, as much as I made fun or poked at the one week journey for Alvin Gentry of what he's witnessed in one week, a blowout loss yesterday to a team that didn't have John Morant, a loss at home to Philly that didn't have five starters. And then two nice wins. I mean, really good wins against a blazer team that had their guys and the Lakers that had their guys. And the Kings played without some of their players. So that's where why and how and all this stuff continues to be that frustrating for the Kings. And obviously the best teams, like the truly best teams, are amazingly consistent. Well, the Kings aren't that, but you just want more. More consistency. And that's why I like the first 10 games of the year when they were 5-5. Five and five. And for the most part, I think you could watch the game and go, it's going to be a game into the fourth quarter. They may not win everyone. But it's going to be a game. We know what we're going to expect. I thought they competed hard every night. I thought they had their chances to win. And, okay, maybe they didn't shoot well. Maybe they didn't rebound well. Maybe they didn't defend well. That's a reason for losing. Yesterday, it's a long list, and it was more of a compete level. Um, The Sixers game was frustrating with the amount of players that were out for Philadelphia. The coming home game after the bad road trip or the inspired speech by Tristan Thompson and then they're down by 30 at home to Toronto. That's the frustration, I think, for Kings fans, myself included, that you want to have a sense of not necessarily even belief, but know what what you're going to see or at least have a pretty close target to what you're going to see. And I think that's why we get caught up in, in a make-or-miss league or field goal percentage, but you can shoot poorly and have a chance to win. But too many times lately, the Kings have shot poorly and have had zero chance to win. And that's why you need the other elements. And that's what Alvin Gentry said earlier was just no excuse for their defensive performance. It was awful. 
They didn't put up a threat, and that's why if you're shooting poorly, you better defend to give yourself a chance, and they didn't do that yesterday. So with the week ahead, I think the matchup is actually, I didn't think was good against the Lakers, but the Kings many times against L.A. went very small, played four guards and Marvin Bagley, and you're seeing Marvin Bagley guard LeBron James. I thought LeBron had a good game, but his decision-making, which I think is one of the best traits he has, was bad at the end of regulation and the end of the first overtime where he was settling for jump shots. Certainly jumpers he can make and has, but at that point, you've got Marvin Bagley, who is not known as a defender. I'm doing whatever I can to go by him. You know the officials genuinely treat him with a few more favors, and, and if LeBron attacks and is aggressive, he likely will get a call or make a basket or set something else. He just puts pressure on the entirety of the defense if LeBron is aggressive there. Instead, he just kind of waited, waited, let me get to a comfortable spot to take a hero jump shot, and he missed him. Now, the worst play of the whole game to me was the end of the second overtime where the Kings actually finally had the possession to win. It's on them. They're trying to basically make the game either end with a win or go to overtime and they didn't get a field goal attempt. That was awful. Awful. That can't happen. I thought that might bury him. Instead, the third overtime, the Kings rallied again and outperformed the Lakers. So this team, unfortunately, is still learning. And whether or not they're taking these lessons in or not, I think I got fooled by that. I'll admit that, where I said why I thought this team would be better was based on the fact that they've been through it. Most of the, I mean, you, you're you not looking at a brand new Kings team. It's the same group. You've watched, how many games have you guys out there watched of Buddy, Barnes, Holmes, Fox, that four? A ton of games. Mix in Halliburton all of last season and now this season. Um, Alex Len is back. Harkless was here at the end of last season, is here now again. Davion Mitchell's new. Okay, that's one. But it's really a group, Marvin's been here. Four years. So they've been together. They've had experience. And it should have parlayed into more of a winning record to me at this point. They've already made the coaching change. So this is the group they've got. Those players at this point have to figure it out. And I don't think the path is that difficult for them. That's what's also frustrating. We're not asking them to go, oh, they're going to have to go 10-2 and in their next 12 games. No. No, not at all. Maybe even seven and five would be fine. I, and I just picked 12 games randomly. Like, no one's going to think they have to do something out of this world. The West is not going to be that way. Top three may get out here a little bit, but after that, I mean, it, like we said, a good week. Had they won yesterday, just yesterday, they'd be nine and 11, or excuse me, nine and 12. And one game out of 10th. Just one. There are only two out now. But that would have been more momentum. You would have put Memphis at... Not, oh, that's where it would have been. They would have been 9 and 11. So you would have been even closer, a half game out of 12th. Of 10th, excuse me. And you would have just beaten Memphis and had a tiebreaker. You face Memphis two more times coming up next month, both here, and you're done with Memphis. You don't go there a second time. So we'll see what the Kings were able to do. Chris, we were gone for a few days. Do we have an update on the linear championship? Because we had the path. It was Atlanta had it, and they were going to get Memphis. And if Memphis had won, then the Kings were going to be playing for it. But that didn't happen. Maybe kind of good that they didn't get it. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. That have, might have pumped up the team. Good point. If they knew they were playing for the – I mean, should I just – should we find out? Yeah, let's, I don't even know where it is. We've got to find out. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner of this contest – That sounds like New York. New York Knicks. What is that from? Oh, if you have not seen this, it's opening night, double overtime against the Celtics. Yes. Knicks win. And the fans. They take to the streets. Go to the streets yeah. and go absolutely insane. Then you could have selected a lot of things, but you took the one fan that, that's like, isn't that just cheeks and mouth, like, yeah. flapping? And he does a couple other things. Yes, a lot does. of it is not safe for radio. That's true. That's true. So that's our Knicks. The Knicks are the linear champion. I, I mean, now it makes sense why Kemba Walker 
is on the bench because they made that move against the Hawks. Yeah. Become linear champions. Okay, this is our lineup now if we want to defend this. Do you think it lasts? They get the Nets tomorrow. Hmm. Could be quick work. I hope so. Could be quick work. Do you have something ready for the Nets? I don't. Okay. But because I really want to see the Knicks hold on to it for a couple of yeah, a couple of games. Just because it's worth hearing that. Um, the Nets after that though play the Timberwolves. Could jump back to the again. West? Yes. I think that would be their third playing for it. Like if they won. Yeah. Well, the Timberwolves have gotten hot. They played much better. They made themselves back up to five hundred. So. Congrats to the and Knicks. If you remember the Timberwolves sounder, it's one of the better ones. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. All right, break time for us. One final segment before we get you to Monday Night Football coming up with Seattle and Washington. What a day in baseball. I know there's a threat of a lockout, but man, uh, is there really? Because they're spending a ton of money on these free agents, and some high-profile guys have changed teams that are really going to impact Major League Baseball. We'll explain when we come back here on KHDK. All right, back here for our final segment of today's show. Jason Ross here with you again. Monday Night Football coming up in just a few moments. It's going to be Washington football team versus Seattle as this play game being played in the nation's capital tonight. Um, it was a weekend full with NBA news, college football news, NFL news. But baseball did register this weekend, made some significant, significant signings, some of them coming down today. And this is all on the heels as a potential baseball lockout could be coming. So would there then be a free agency freeze? Um, right now, owners, agents, teams are spending like, hey, we want to get our cash and prizes, our our shiny new toy to show off for whenever baseball returns. And, you know, for I hate lockouts. I hate this. I hate all of this kind of stuff. I think it's the worst thing that can happen to any sport, and especially if you miss any kind of time. And if any sport can't afford to have this happen it's baseball it's already slipping in the the popular you know kind of order of what people consume in their fandom like just i just know it people aren't watching baseball as much as they used to it's been an older game and i don't think baseball has ever done a good job of compartmentalizing their game to not necessarily make it quicker i know people are consumed by that but highlight packages and the best of and and getting it to social media. The NBA is really good at that. And so is the, the NFL is just one game a week. It's easier to take all that in. But baseball, there's so many games, Chris. The games take a long time. And it just, it's it's lost some popularity. I'll say, though, the NFL is good and bad at social media. The stuff they put on there is good. Yeah. And then you find out the next day that, what they posted, the player got fined for right, doing exactly. something. <laughs> exactly. For doing what the NFL is celebrating. Right. Um, but for baseball, you look at some of these moves that have been made. Let's run down just a few of them to first hit really the Giants and the A's. For the Giants, um, they lose out on Kevin Gossman over the weekend. He has signed with Toronto. Now, Gossman had a great year for the Giants. So the Blue Jays looking to add to their um, their team. That was good last year. Has a really good lineup. So Gossman going there. And you wonder how much, who will the Giants go after to replace him? They kept Brandon Belt, of course. The A's got hit, and this is going to happen to them a lot, a lot, because Bob Melvin, I think, was the the first big, big domino, and then there's going to be more. They, one, they need a new manager. Two, um, they have free agents, and they have coveted players like Mark Canna and Starlin Marte. They both moved, and they both go to the Mets. The Mets today. Even did another signing, and this is a big one. Max Scherzer has signed with the Mets. So the Mets get Marte and Canna. They got Lindor last offseason. They have Pete Alonso. Uh, Jacob DeGrom is their best pitcher, or Scherzer, either one, and they're just both dominant staff aces. Mets are going to be a problem, and apparently they're going for more. The Rangers have come in here and been very aggressive. They got Marcus Simeon over the weekend. And today they've agreed to signing Corey Seager, free agent shortstop from the Dodgers, former World Series MVP, 
10-year, $325 million contract to go to the Rangers. Cy Young winner Robbie Ray, who was just with the Jays, signs a deal with the Mariners. And so this is the beginning stages of the free agency period, but some major, major players agreeing to big deals and changing teams. And I will say this, Chris, as a Yankee fan, but I, I can picture I, – I I find it a bit refreshing that it's not Seager going to the Yankees, though I know they were interested. Scherzer going to – well, he's already the Dodgers, but the Red Sox or the Dodgers or the teams that keep seeming to land these players. Here's the Mets. Now they're, they've got a new big money owner. The Rangers coming in, Blue Jays, Mariners. I think this is good. Is you know, it? I think so. Mm. Would you rather be a, a super team that people either love or hate? No. Okay. But then <laughs> uh, you've got these teams that are spending all this money and at the same time arguing with the players that they need to take a pay cut. Which is a lot of times in this sport, I mean, I generally going to side with the players because I want them to play and I, I have no problem with them trying to get as much money as they want. I find in most of these arguments when owners complain about players making too much money, it's your problem. You did this. It, you, owners, we these lockouts are a lot of done because owners need to save themselves from themselves. Yes. Which is embarrassing. And, and now, there's nuance league. in there that they could be arguing for and that I'm not, th- there's probably more of that stuff that it might be important than Hey, we paid Chris Verlod 10 years. Like, that's too much. He can't make that much money. Now, let's really talk about, like, playoff positioning or or um, drug testing or less games or more games. Or that's the stuff I think that really should be in some of these collective bargaining rooms for football for if they could ever get um, guaranteed contracts, whatever. Those kind of things as opposed to worrying about volume and length of contracts that these owners had already agreed to do in the past. And if you look at what they've been arguing about, I didn't even know this until you – look deep into it we see these huge contracts being paid out to these players but ironically players are getting paid less every single year as a whole even though the they have these monster contracts what the totality of the pool the is totality getting less? is getting oh, less okay. but not the the Corey seegers and they want a huge they the one of the arguments that the owners want is to force players to not become free agents until they're 29. <laughs> yeah. No. Nope. Deal breaker. So then, uh, I mean. Yeah, we won't play. So, yeah, we won't make money, but neither will you. And it's, again, it's a turnoff. Nobody, us, the common people, the fans, is like, just play. How un-American is that? I know. Just play. <laughs> we wanted you guys to play. It'll be interesting to see where the rest of these names go. But Corey Seager, man, the Rangers getting Seager and Simeon. Uh, Scherzer going to the Mets, as we mentioned. So they lose a couple A's go there, too. Marte and Canna. Robbie Ray with the Mariners. Giants lose Gossman to Toronto. And many more signings still to come. All right, that's it. We had a brief show, just 90 minutes, because Monday Night Football is coming up. It will be Seattle at Washington, as uh, that's coming your way next right here on Sports 1140 KHTK. See you.